Hey, chiropractors, welcome to Modern Chiropractic Mastery with your host, Dr. Kevin Christie, where we discuss the latest in marketing, business, and professional growth with some of the leading experts in the industry. Welcome to another episode of Modern Chiropractic Mastery. And today I am interviewing Chad Madden, who is a physical therapist and really a entrepreneur at heart. And that's why I wanted to have him on. Uh, he was nice enough to have me on his podcast to talk about marketing. And I'm having him on because we had such a great conversation. And, and I love to hear from a physical therapist perspective of what he did uh, quite a few years ago to really explode his practice and to the point where uh, now he is the one of the CEOs of Breakthrough and it's a, a marketing company for physical therapists and chiropractors. And so we dive into a handful of topics of how he's progressed from you know, being a physical therapist uh, in a clinical setting that he was working for another group to uh, you know, going out on a limb and opening up his own practice to opening up multiple locations, to then stopping patient care, going into more of the entrepreneur and tech side of things, but still has his hands in the PT world and still is part owner of, of many clinics. And so I love to hear it from his perspective as a physical therapist and an entrepreneur and how he had the same concerns that you might have had back uh, in the day when he was opening up his first clinic and trying to grow that. And he dives into a handful of ways where he really exploded his clinics. And I think you'll take a lot away from that. And we, we have a great conversation. It's very well-rounded. It's uh, I like hearing the background story of Chad's because it's, it's kind of similar to mine. And, you know, no matter where you're at, uh, as you listen to this, whether you're a student you're a new grad working for someone, have your own practice you just started or been doing it for 30 years as a business owner. You can take away a lot from this interview on how to uh, really elegantly grow your practice. Uh, and he's got some great resources for you. You can get that at getbreakthrough.com. And that's how it sounds, getbreakthrough.com to check that out. Tons of good resources on there. I was checking that out from case studies, the ebooks, the podcasts and guides. So take a look at that. Um, buckle up. We have a, a nice journey here of, of how he grew. And then we get into the meat and potatoes of a few ways uh, that he grew his practice. And, and one of them is going to be uh, workshops. And I know a lot of you um, think about doing that. Some of you do it occasionally. Uh, but we dive into that. And it's something I want you to open your mind up to if you're not doing them now. Uh, honestly, it was one of the ways I grew my practice, especially before the internet. Uh, and we still do them. Uh, I don't personally do them in the community as much, but our doctors do. And it's just a phenomenal way of building um, community, position yourself as an expert, uh, really connecting a lot of reciprocity and, and showing off what you know. Uh, sometimes you take for granted how much you know and how much you have to give. And when you do that, uh, it really will help your, your, your practice grow. So here is my interview with Chad Madden. All right. Welcome to the show, Chad. I really appreciate your time. Uh, before we dive into a bunch of fun stuff today, tell us about yourself personally, professionally, and then we'll go from there. Great. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Uh, like most of us that are in conservative healthcare, had an injury growing up. So I think I was 12 or 13 years old playing football, youth football. I was running a, a crossing route in a non-contact practice in football. Jumped up, caught a ball. Rodney Krasovic, I'll never forget this, <laughs> uh, tackled me. I broke my left collarbone uh, when I landed. So uh, 
And I, I had a lot of frustration of how long it took me to rehab. So really got into training, was reading, you know, all the magazines that were available back in the day. So this is probably like mid late eighties, mm -hmm. uh, muscle and fitness, you know, looking for the, the gym star articles, all that fun stuff, uh, started training, saw what I could do there, you know, that I could actually get stronger. And then when I was in high school, I started volunteering, uh, after wrestling practice, I would run over to a physical therapy center until close and, and volunteer there with a physical therapist who, who took me under his wing. His name was, uh, Dale Hillbolt. Mm -hmm. So greatly influenced there that I was going to go that route. Uh, my father was, a uh, in the Marine Corps, mm -hmm. literally woke us up every morning if my brother and I wouldn't hop out of bed on time with, a, I think it's called Reveille. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, um, <laughs> yeah, so grew up in a, a Marine Corps household. He was very much of the opinion that I should go to uh, military first. And uh, luckily, I got a scholarship to go to a, a physical therapy school. Back then, mid-90s was a five-year master's program. Mm -hmm. And uh, so once I got that, I went to College Misericordia at the time. It's now Misericordia University and graduated in 2000 with a, a master's degree in physical therapy. Perfect. And so uh, at that point, um, you, you obviously went into the physical therapy setting as, as a physical therapist. Uh, what was your first job? Great question. Uh, mm -hmm. First job, what, and I, I met the director on the night um, that I received my license. So back in 2000, you would take a licensure exam. And then I think we waited four to six weeks. It was a long time. So got the mail, went out to celebrate with my friends happened to meet a director of a PT clinic there, uh, Ryan Kristoff. And then uh, my first job was in uh, an orthopedic sports center. So this was uh, a group of orthopedic surgeons. They had a physiatrist on board, uh, a few other doctors. Um, they had all the local contracts for the professional and high school teams. And that was my first position. And where was, was this at? For them. In Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Perfect. Yep. And, yeah. uh, and how long were you with them? Uh, two years, two years. I was there for two years. Yeah. And I really wanted to kind of tease this out and, and get your timeline of things and, and your progression. Cause, uh, you and I are alike in a lot of ways where, uh, you've got quite the entrepreneur mindset of, of things. And I always like to dissect that out. Like, where did it, where did it come about? You know, how long were you, you know, working for someone, uh, you know, that whole, that whole kind of progression, uh, how it seems to, to go. And so you were there for a couple of years. And then what was next after that? Yeah, two was there for two years. And then my mentor, um, his company actually had a position. So they were in private practice um, and it was a, a directorship. And so I was in a young marriage, literally the uh, month after I was married, um, I took a new position with this private practice and was a clinical director there. And it, it was an odd situation where the previous director um, had just passed away from, I believe, cancer, mm -hmm. and I was taking over. So that was a little bit awkward, and uh, it was a tough situation to walk into. So was there for a few months. Uh, my wife was pregnant after that shortly with our old, now oldest son, and you asked about the entrepreneurial spirit. Yep. Growing up, I just always seem to be around business. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure why, but a lot of my friends, their parents uh, would, would own local businesses, you know, mom and pop type businesses. And I, I was just always learning. It always intrigued me. And even when I was going through 
school, when I was going through college, I was sharing with my classmates that I wanted to learn how to on my own practice. So that that was set in stone fairly early that I wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. And then I was the nerd, Kevin. I, yeah. you know, I could hear my roommate coming home at like one in the morning out having a good time. And mm-hmm. I was sitting there reading like a Robert Kiyosaki Rich Dad Poor Dad mm-hmm. book or something like that. You know, it's that was one of the first that was one of the first ones I read. Uh that's for sure. So yeah, it was just life changing for me and uh in perspective. So started doing that. And uh yeah, while I was a director it was super apparent that things weren't going to proceed. I kind of went there with the understanding that I was going to become a partner and that wasn't necessarily lining up uh, with the expectations that I had. So sat down with my wife who was six months pregnant at the time. And I said, Hey, what do you want to do here? I have a business plan. Let's run for it. She tried to talk me out of it uh, with my parents. And then Mm -hmm. we sat down and I just, I drew a line in the sand and said, this is what's happening. You can support or not. And luckily they were fully on board and supported me the rest of the way. That's great. And then did you open up in the Harrisburg area? Yes, we did. Uh, September 2nd, 2003. Mm -hmm. And then my son was born three days later. So my timing was horrible. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's great. So, all right. You overcame it. And then, um, and so then you were in private practice for quite a while in, um, I'd, I'd like to actually jump around here just a, a little bit, and, and it's, we've got some great information to, to talk about, but you ultimately grew a, a very successful practice, and then you've uh, helped many other uh, healthcare professionals in growing, and, and, and now you're, you're really basically full-time entrepreneur. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. I, I am still uh, a part owner in the practice. Yeah. So having completely stepped away from that, but yeah. you're not treating, correct? <clears throat> I haven't treated in probably five years. Yeah. So I think, you know, it's, it's like you're, you're owning the practice or part of it, you know, it's part of that entrepreneur package you got going on there for sure. Um, but when you started to really hit that tipping point in your own practice that you opened up where you're like, okay, I'm figuring this out. This is growing very well. Uh, what were a few of the most effective ways that you found to to grow your PT practice? Yeah, that's a solid question. So mm-hmm. three, uh, let me give you a little bit of context. Yep. Um, their initial business plan was 50 visits a week, 48 visits a week, mm-hmm. five new patients. I thought I could make it work uh, <laughs> having done that. So yep. that's what I used to go get my SBA loan and everything else. Within six months, we, we had doubled that. Kevin, I had read the Robert Kiyosaki books. I had read The Millionaire Next Door and lots of other uh, cliche business books of the time. I had no idea how to run a practice. (laughs) So uh, for three years, I would just do the roller coaster. And the roller coaster was I would be busy in the clinic treating. So I would drop marketing. So what would happen is then I would be busy treating. Marketing would drop off. New patients would drop off. Census would drop off. I'm not busy treating anymore. Then I would run out and market again and drive in new patients. And I kept doing this back and forth and had a lot of struggle. I, I knew the um, the Michael Gerber saying of, you know, work on your business mm-hmm. rather than in it. Uh, I had heard that and I thought I understood it, but I had no idea how to do that. So 2006, 2007, really got serious about building teams and building systems and finally acknowledging to myself that I had no idea what I was doing there. Mm-hmm. And then just did a deep dive into courses and coaches and everything else that I could possibly imagine. It read hundreds of books. 
I, at one time we, I had a running tally and I, I believe I was, you know, over a hundred thousand dollars into the, my own education, primarily in marketing. Yep. And what I learned in marketing, what really clicked for us. So in physical therapy, we were, we've kind of been paralyzed for the longest time. We, we didn't have the opportunity for uh, marketing directly to the consumer, yep. like uh, most chiropractors have had. So when that happened and all of a sudden the hospital systems and physicians started bringing PT in house, mm -hmm. right? Uh, that, and the referrals dried up and there's research to prove this, that it mm -hmm. really happened. Um, what it did was it forced many physical therapists to learn how to market. Yep. And quickly what I did was I went outside of PT because the, the game at the time that was being promoted in physical therapy was just market harder to physicians yeah. to combat the slide. And I just said, this is way off. <laughs> this is not a fun game and we're going to figure this out. So I went and studied a ton of other industries, not just within healthcare, but in everything from uh, auto repair to pizza delivery, to uh, franchising, to uh, realty, just about anything else that you can imagine. And the thing that really stuck for us was uh, th this idea of a, a workshop or some sort of education. Mm -hmm. uh, so some people might refer to it as a lecture. Yep. It's been in healthcare for 150 plus years. Elizabeth Longfellow, first female physician in the country, did it back in the 1860s in New York City mm -hmm. to start her career. So, and went on to have a successful career. So we knew we were onto something there. I figured out how to do workshops as a PT, educating on basic, uh, basic diagnoses, common mm -hmm. diagnoses that we saw in the clinic. And that's what really started the rocket ride mm -hmm. um, where today, you know, we have six soon to be seven clinic locations. Um, and luckily I have other partners mm -hmm. here now as well. Um, but we have, you know, 96 employees doing roughly $8 million plus a year in revenue. Mm -hmm. uh, but all of that started with that catalyst of learning how to educate the public. Yeah. Now, were you hosting those uh, in-house or going to different places and, and doing them? Yes, I both. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the first one I ever did, um, and I, I'm, it's kind of a funny story, but I'm I'm still friends with uh, the, one of the people that was in the room. So uh, 22, 23 years later, That's and uh, yeah, kind of a kind of a weird story. I actually was just at his house over the weekend. So uh, yeah, still friends. It was a shoulder pain workshop, and I did it for a high school. Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, and if you're a football fan, it's the same high school that uh, Ricky Waters and LaShawn McCoy both graduated from Okay, is here in Harrisburg uh, for all the NFL fans that are mm -hmm. listening right now. But um, yeah, so we would do them uh, out in the community. Uh, large employers work really well. Community centers, any sort of civic or social club is mm -hmm. perfect to go to. And then uh, once or twice a month, we would also host them in-house. That's great. That's great. You know, I did a lot of that. And, um, when I was in chiropractic school, we had something called the health awareness workshop team, which I tried out for and failed. And they didn't even, I didn't make the cut literally, which they were begging for people to do it. <laughs> and, and I, I got better at it and, and re retried the next week and, and got it. And then I was just responsible for weekly talks, whether it was in the clinic, uh, to new patients, or we would go out to the community. I remember one we did for like 60 underground cable laying guys. Like these are the burliest, scruffiest dudes in, in, in the Midwest. 
And me and my buddy did a, a talk on, you know, body mechanics and lifting and this and that. And it was great. It was, it was a perfect example of, um, of getting out there and practicing. And so then I opened up my own practice. I came down here in South Florida. I joined the Toastmasters, which helped out a little bit. Um, it was a little challenging down here because there's a lot of uh, English as a second language. And so a lot of the people in there were, were just trying to get better at, at English, which is fine. Um, but overall, that was good. Um, and I actually just signed up for something called Crazy Good Talks, which um, it's a member of my 10X strategic coach group. And so I'm looking to continue to get better at that uh, public speaking, whether it's in the community or for me now, it's a lot of, uh, you know, conferences and stuff that I'm, I'm speaking at. So uh, I, I really implore the audience to, to take this type of information seriously. It's just a, it's rocket fuel for your practice, isn't it? I completely agree. It's yeah. we, we, and what, what is funny is even though we were educating the, the, the cold public, the general public is our physician referrals went up. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it just, it elevated everything across the board. It, we had more reactivated past patients coming in. We have more word of mouth referrals. All those things happen simply because we're educating the public. Yeah, that's, that's perfect. So that's, that's a huge one. And I think, you know, it's, it's always interesting because I've got a marketing company where we talk a lot about online stuff and everything, but we're still boots on the ground. And I still talk a lot about that because it's, it's just so important. And there's a lot of chiropractors out there you know, they're wanting to reap what they're not sowing, mm -hmm. uh, essentially in their practice. And they're, and they're frustrated that it's not growing and, and they know in their heart's heart that if they did something like this, it would work and maybe they would struggle at it. And I'm going to have you speak to this part. Maybe they would struggle at it early on, but they, but they would get better, um, uh, just like anything else. How were you when you first started doing them versus, uh, progressing? Yeah. So the first one is the worst one. Yeah. So in the beginning, I made all the classic mistakes, Kevin. I spoke like a physical therapist. Mm -hmm. I used high-end clinical language like supraspinatus and <laughs> tendinopathy and spondylolisthesis and stuff like that. Uh, in the beginning, I tried to be everything to everyone. Mm -hmm. So we were doing, uh, you know, four different topics in a single speech or a single lecture. So yeah. I was talking about back pain, neck pain, shoulder, and knee pain all in one. That was a mistake. It got, uh, we got significantly better results and a lot of learning when I just did rotator cuff and shoulder pain and then did back pain and sciatica um, separately. So yeah, a lot of learning in the beginning. I, there, there's a very simple structure that we use now. The other thing that, uh, that happened along the way is as we were doing those uh, back in 2010, I just had a chance meeting where uh, a friend invited me to uh, it was a really a sales conference disguised as a, uh, a good time with Jeffrey yeah. Gittimer, but, uh, Jeffrey Gittimer is, was a, uh, syndicated columnist, uh, business writer. I think he had three or four books on the New York times bestseller list in business simultaneously. He was syndicated in 110 newspapers. And here he was at the end of his career saying, essentially, um, the, the end of his writing career, mm -hmm. there, there are all these social platforms coming, figure it out. Yep. figure out how to deliver value to the public. And when you do, you're going to be able to reap the rewards, mm -hmm. you know, in line with exactly what you said. So I started a simple uh, YouTube channel mm -hmm. and uh, what I would do and this, I'll match this up with the workshop. Mm -hmm. um, what I did is every week 
in my pocket, I would carry around a, a blank sheet of paper. And every time a patient would ask me a question, and especially the more common questions like, how long do I have to do the exercises? Yeah. Um, you know, what's the best thing I can do long term so my back pain doesn't come back? It, questions like that, what's the best position to sleep in? I would just write that down. Mm-hmm. Then every Friday, I had one hour, a one hour block of time, and I would record a video literally for a patient, yep. right? And I would post it on YouTube. A couple of those went viral. And uh, I, I think the last time I checked, and it's been a few months, but uh, we were over 22 million views <laughs> from videos that I posted back then. Yeah. But it speaks to the power of uh, using lay language. So mm-hmm. if you watch those videos, I, I I grew up in a family of factory workers, mm-hmm. not doctorates. So yeah, uh, yeah I, I speak very lay language. That's natural for me. But you can see in those videos where I was uh, trying to understand how to uh, speak more lay. Yep. And uh, so that that was a big learning. And then that parlayed over into um, our workshops. Mm-hmm. Now, when we teach the workshop or when uh, any of our other clinicians are doing a workshop, we, we keep it very simple. There's always three key points to each workshop. We don't talk too much about how great we are or anything like that. And we walk the patient through. Uh, we show them, you know, we're essentially acting as a guide and we walk them through the process, that they're, the healing process that they're about to go through uh, in order to get back to normal. That's great. You know, to touch on your lay uh, topic there, um, you know, I, I find a lot of my listeners and people I talk to, sometimes they're afraid to go that route because they think it's almost like they think their colleagues and buddies are going to be watching the videos and are like, Oh yeah. It's like, why are you using, you know, that type of word? you like, they don't really like your colleagues aren't watching most likely. And if your target audience is your patient base, that's who you need to speak to. You, you just can't speak to uh, them. Like you're speaking to your colleagues. It's just not going to work. And, and exactly right. You know, we're not saying make shit up, right? Um, it's just that you have to talk to them like they're a regular person because that's who the audience is. And, and I think a lot of, I know chiropractors over speak, uh, and, and too much jargon and medical terminology. So you got to get away from that. So thanks for, for, for doing that. Okay. So we chatted about YouTube and then obviously we chatted about the, the workshops, a big one. Is there a third way that you've either, either you grew yours or you're finding that it's currently growing with a lot of your, uh, offices you have now or colleagues? Yeah. So, to, uh, we, we could talk about something that is very relevant right now, which would be TikTok or Facebook or mm-hmm. Google ads. What should I be using? Yeah. Here's a better way to think of, about it. That is timeless. Mm-hmm. Always lead with value. Yep. Just provide valuable information that meets the person on the level they're at. So average person, and we just talked about this, but average person writes on a fifth grade reading level. Yeah. So if you have an 11 year old at home, this is your 11, however you're talking with your 11 year old, mm-hmm. it's the same way that you should be communicating in your marketing. And then once you understand that where you're always leading with value, even before you make an offer for a, a free screen or a discovery visit or an appointment or a discounted package, whatever you're leading with there, whatever your offer is, always go in first with value. Mm-hmm. From there, it's just media match. Where is your target market at? Are they on Facebook? then you should be on Facebook. Are they Googling? Then you should be on Google ads. Are they on, are they watching YouTube videos? Then you should be advertising on YouTube. Are they using TikTok? Then you should be on TikTok. Are they reading the local newspaper? Then you should be in the local newspaper. 
that's a, a better way to think of it long-term. So lead with value and just be willing to be flexible and test different media because you're going to have to, we all live in different geographic areas. Yeah. Um, Florida is different than Pennsylvania, right? And there's colloquialisms, even within our six clinics, mm-hmm. they're all different, yeah. right? Some are rural, some are urban, and and we adjust accordingly with our media mix based on that. Mm-hmm. Now, that makes sense. You know, I just recorded a solo episode on uh, return on investment in myself and business and, and, and that type of stuff. And I'm always amazed. There's a lot of doctors that um, they they just don't think they need to do marketing. And, you know, I know there's some busy practices that don't do a lot, but I know a lot of doctors and physical therapists that, that aren't as busy as they want to be or should be. And they still don't think marketing works. Uh, and they're worried about throwing, you know, money away. Right. And some, yeah, some of the money you put into certain things isn't going to have the return you'd like, but, you know, I, I like um, the concept I've heard is that's just more R and D, you know, it's like research and development. Like every company spends money on research and development. And in this way, sometimes finding out like, okay, this is a, a media mismatch or this, that, and the other thing, that's just R and D. And you're going to ultimately figure out where it is. And, and you can attest to that in the chiropractors that I speak to and physical therapists that just have very thriving practices. Like they're spending money on marketing. They're creating content. They're getting out in the community. Like it's just not happening by chance. And that's something I want to make sure that our audience understands is that you, you do have to invest time and, and money and, and even educating yourself. Like you talked about, you and I had a similar path of kind of self-educating and marketing. Um, you can do that concurrently uh, of still keeping up with your medical knowledge, right? Like you can read a medical book and you can read a marketing or business book concurrently. Uh, you don't have to do all or one. So, um, I just wanted to kind of riff on that for a second. You definitely got me thinking on that as far as the, the media mismatch and, and try to tweak it a little bit here and there. There's a lot to it for sure. Yeah. And to add some color to the thing you said, where most clinicians, especially in conservative care, mm-hmm. we became a uh, conservative care clinician because we wanted to help people, yep. make people stronger, right? There is this nasty idea that the right way to grow our practice and grow demand for our services is through providing high quality of care and rely on word of mouth referrals. Mm-hmm. And there's this danger in thinking that I shouldn't have to market if my clinical skills are good enough. Yeah. So where that actually comes from is if you go back, I believe it's 1903, the AMA or the AMA predecessor, American Medical Association, they had guidelines. And what they restricted, what they restricted physicians from advertising because, and I believe the way that the guideline reads is we want to differentiate ourselves from charlatans, mm-hmm. right? Essentially a snake oil salesman. Yeah. Uh, at the time. So there weren't a lot of regulations and they said, Hey, by the way, these people are advertising. We're not going to advertise. Mm-hmm. They quickly realized it was a huge mistake. And by the time they revised the guidelines, they, they got that out of there and they said, yes, you can advertise for your services, but these are the restrictions of, of what you can do and can't do. Yep. Again, Elizabeth Longfellow got around it because she just started educating and she was allowed to, to do that. The, for some reason, that fallacy is still in the mind of almost every clinician, at least when we first graduate, because mm-hmm. the, the real world is not like that, though. Yep. Right. Yes, it's going to require a little bit of grit. You know, I can 
work with you, Kevin. I can make a video. I can send it out in my email and maybe it doesn't get the response I'm looking for. I can post it on, uh, you know, Instagram or Facebook and not get the response I'm looking for. Well, there might be some work involved there. You know, maybe I could have a better camera angle. Maybe I could have better language when I'm communicating on the video. Maybe I could be a little more uh, succinct. Maybe I could have an open-ended question when I first uh, open up the video. There's lots of changes that we can do, but yes, most clinicians, they'll hit record once Mm -hmm. or twice. And then it's like, wow, that didn't work for me. See, I told you so I am different. And then they go back to doing what they were doing before. Yeah. And I almost feel like a lot of clinicians romanticize the idea of being so good that your doors are just going to be flooded with new patients and and that's how they want to roll with things. And, and it it just doesn't happen. And it's amazing if you change your mindset on it, because healthcare is broken, uh, as you and I know, and, but if they change their mindset on, and obviously table stakes is be, be a great clinician for sure. Put that as number one. And then number two, have a great patient experience, right? That's just amazing. They're not getting that anywhere else. And then three, educate people, use marketing, content marketing. I love it because it's education-based and get it out there and let people know that they're going to get great clinical care from you and a great patient experience from you. All right, docs, here is a new opportunity for you from Darcy Sullivan of Propel. She is our SEO specialist in helping out many chiropractors uh, with their search engine optimization and making sure Google is finding you and getting you new patients. It's amazing how many new patients chiropractors can get and are getting when they do uh, the SEO right and a few other things. And Darcy is offering a free SEO workshop just for chiropractors, and you can sign up for that at bit.ly bit.ly slash propel mcm that is bit.ly bit.ly propel mcm modern chiropractic marketing right and so check out that link and we're going to have you go over five seo secrets to owning the first page of google uh, without buying ads and darcy's going to give that free workshop one hour to really help grow your practice and start churning new patients from the ever mighty Google, which is still king in the online marketing. So check that out at bit.ly slash propel MCM for the one hour free workshop. Hey doc, are you moving office spaces or you're a startup with your own new space or you're like me where you need renovations because it's starting to look a little worn after about 10 years like ours is? Um, Crossfields Chiropractic Office Design is here to elevate you wherever you're at and they're going to help maximize your space and flow. They're going to really help attract and retain patients and this is going to have a great ROI on your investment when you increase that patient experience. So check out Chiropractic office designs by Crossfields. And we have a special link for modern chiropractic marketing listeners. And that is www.chiropracticofficedesign.com slash Kevin dash Christie. And with that, you're going to have discounts. We're going to have direct links to a mega bundle of free resources, and you can check them out and you can get 15 of our most popular floor plans, five phase checklist for a startup office, five point designer checklist to evaluate your current office image And there's 30% off on all online products when you go to www.chiropracticofficedesign.com slash Kevin dash Christie. As you and I were pre-chatting a little bit, the healthcare system is is broken in many ways. And so can you speak to that a little bit? Yes. So uh, yeah, the question before we hopped on here in the the pre-chat 
Kevin was, are you okay if I talk about how broken the healthcare system is? And you gave a resounding yes. Yeah. So uh, I just did some, re- you can go to cms.gov or any of the government websites on statistics, but I just looked at 2021. So in the US, we spent $4.3 trillion. If you divide that by every American, it comes out to roughly 12500 off the top of my head. I think it's $38 per year per person. So in 2021, we spent over $1,000 per month on each individual in this country. You're a family of four, that's $48,000 a year. I'm a family of eight, that's $96,000 a year on average to keep eight people. That That is insane to me. Yep. Right. And if you compare where we're at uh, on, on a worldwide level, so life expectancy of uh, men in the U.S. just dropped two years yep. during the pandemic. Um, utilization is down. Hmm. Immigrants moving to uh, the, the U.S. Are, are actually elevating our uh, life expectancy. Yep. Uh, so, you know, if you look at the who are the three players in our healthcare system? Right. So we have something that's broken. It's ineffective statistically. Uh, it's not helping with lifespan. And by the way, we've had drops before in lifespan ex- expectancy in the U.S. But we're far below other advanced countries as well. We, you know, we can do amazing things with pig valves in the heart. And I mean, there are just some wild advances that we've had in technology but yet we're horrible with chronic diseases. We have mm-hmm. 40% obesity in the US, yep. uh, chronic disease, heart disease, diabetes, just off the wall, you know, off the charts. Um, r- really, they in itself, th- th- there are additional epidemics, right, yep. that we have going on. So where's the money going? Well, look at, the, look at your three players. Mm-hmm. Number one, you have a patient who is saying, I want access to care whenever I want it, um, and I don't want to pay for it. And I don't want you to tell me what to do so I can eat whatever I want. I can have horrible habits. Uh, don't tell me how to sleep. Don't tell me how to exercise. Don't tell me how to eat uh, because I like my five guys. Um, hopefully five guys isn't a sponsor oh, yeah. here, Kevin. No, it's not. Not yet. <laughs> Maybe they will be. <laughs> but uh, um, th- don't tell me what to do. And mm-hmm. by the way, keep me alive. Right. Then you have your insurer uh, and the government. That is basically saying, well, we're going to regulate some things here, but uh, we want equal access for to healthcare for everybody, and nobody should have to pay for it. So we want it amazingly effective and affordable. Wonk, right, yeah. right there. And then think about where we're at as the clinician. The clinician is saying, okay, I'm doing this because I want to help people. I'm going to serve people. And for most of us, we have this trade-off, this mental sacrifice that when I reach the end of my 40-year treatment career or whatever it is. Um, that I that what I've built, mm-hmm. my book of work is going to be valuable, and somebody's going to buy it from me because for most of us, the practice is the nest egg. Yep. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. So we have three very conflicting viewpoints. If you look at the disaster that this has caused and where the money is going, seventy-two percent of of that thousand dollars a month, so seven hundred twenty dollars a month, goes to medications, injections, surgery diagnostic imaging. And if you go to JAMA, Journal of the American Medical Association, they will have studies in there that up to 25% of those medications, injections, surgery, diagnostic imaging are unnecessary. That to me is pretty telling. So 
you and I probably think that number is significantly higher. Probably. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, and there is a more natural way to do things. Chiropractic care, OT, speech, physical therapy, less than 3%. So $30 going to conservative care, $720 a month going to medications, injections, surgery, diagnostic imaging, but yet we can't figure out why we're sick. It, it's it's absolute insanity. And to us at Breakthrough and ultimately, you know, our practice and everything that we're doing and working with other practices is helping them put, uh, we're helping the practice owner put conservative care in the right spot. Mm -hmm. Long term, it's more affordable care and better outcomes yeah. where we're living healthier lives at, at, a, at a lower expense because you and I don't want to leave, you know, the world in a worse place for our kids than mm -hmm than what we found it, but that's exactly where we're headed if we don't do something about it. Yeah, no doubt. And I actually just did a group coaching call last week and it was on the obvious benefits of what we do. And there are certain things that are obvious because the healthcare system is so broken, but you know, in most chiropractic offices, you're, you don't have to wait three weeks to get a new patient exam, right? Like you get so many people, like they, they hurt themselves pretty bad and they call the orthopedist like, oh yeah, we can get you in. And you know, in like two months, it's like, okay, that doesn't help primary cares, half of them aren't even accepting new patients anymore. Right. Yeah. Um, and so we went over a lot of the obvious things. We don't have to wait for two hours in the waiting room, just some of these things that we could highlight. But what you just said is also an obvious benefit of things you could be highlighting in some of your messaging and talks and marketing and getting that out there. And so, uh, I, I appreciate that information that you, you shared, uh, I know there's a, another little dirty secret uh, about the insurance companies. They, they really don't care that we're more affordable. Uh, one of the un unfortunate aspects of the Affordable Care Act was, and you could speak to it a little bit more, but the insurance companies are actually, um, they, they benefit from having higher priced ticket items. Uh, can, you, can you talk to that a little bit? Yes. So th there, there's a really good book to reference here, which is, uh, I believe it's Thomas Loker, History of Healthcare in the United States. Uh, be prepared, the last 25 or 30 pages is pretty political. Yeah. Uh, and just, yeah, take it with a grain of salt. The beginning of the book, the bulk of the book is amazing at telling what happened here within the US. So, and it, especially if you go back to the late 1800s, conservative care and patent medicines, you know, the, that led to the opioid epidemic and everything else, they, they were pretty much even and con natural conservative care was actually winning to some degree mm -hmm. the, those tides turned in the early 1900s. And then we end up with the system that we have, uh, the system that we have today, you and I have an insurance company mm -hmm. in this example, we can pay for conservative care. So a hundred dollars for a chiropractic visit or a PT visit, or we can, and let's say on average, the average plan of care is 20 visits. So we have $2,000 or we can send the person to get a spinal fusion. And that spinal fusion, the average cost there is $114,000 if you look at national averages. So, and by the way, what do the outcome studies show that compare conservative care, 20 visits of conservative care versus the $114,000 spinal fusion? Uh, in under five years, the outcomes are about the same. If you go long-term five years or longer in any of those studies, conservative care wins, right? So 70% failure rate in that lumbar spine fusion, a high likelihood that they need another surgery within those the, the five years uh, after the surgery. 
it's insane, uh, insane outcomes for something that's done frequently within the, in the U S. So do we want to pay $114,000 or do we want to pay 2000? Well, think, think about it like this. If our, if we are publicly traded mm-hmm. or we have owners, which I think most insurance companies do, unless we're a nonprofit, our uh, fiduciary responsibility is to increase profitability. The mm-hmm. only way that we can do that, the only way that we can increase premiums mm-hmm. by law, by the Affordable Health Care Act, is if we pay out the $114,000. Yeah. So you, Mary Smith, can go get your lumbar spine fusion, $114,000. By the way, you have a $50 copay, a little less, $50 less than $114,000. Or you can go to get conservative care. We'll pay $100 a visit. That's the allowed amount. You're responsible for 50 of that. So you have to pay $1,000 yourself and then we'll we'll cover the other $1,000. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense at all. But realize the only way that the insurance company, the Kevin and Chad insurance company can increase our profitability and grow and keep our stakeholders happy is if we are paying out more, not less with regards to reimbursements and conservative care is not the option there. Yep. And, and just to, to clarify it a little bit for the audience, because what you said is, is, is great. Um, you know, in the affordable care act, the only way these insurance companies can really increase the premiums, like you said, like charge more for the insurances is by showing that costs have gone up on their end. And then they've got it all, they got the whole math figured out and it works in their favor to become more profitable, even by spending more money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, I mean, there, there are a few wins that conservative care has had, you know, many times somebody will have to uh, see a chiropractor or CPT before they get that, yeah. uh, the, the MRI or something like that. That's not a, a blanket statement across the board, but there is some initiative there. The other thing that is kind of weird in the language is you've had to fail mm-hmm. chiropractic care or physical therapy before you get the imaging that, so we're going into this with a, with a pretty negative mindset, but uh, at least there are a, a few stop gaps. The biggest concern is, I mean, if you read anything on the opioid epidemic yeah. that that we've had, th- that is just, it, it's gross. It's it is. 25% of the, that uh, healthcare spend, so $250 a month is going to prescription medications. Yeah. And uh, it, the U.S. leads, I, I think we're 90% of the world, uh, 90% of the world, opioids are consumed in the u.s that's crazy. so yeah we we have major problems with uh unnecessary medication so let's um let's segue that was great information and i really appreciate it and 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 like we touched on earlier you you're kind of in that full entrepreneur uh aspect of your life now and and so tell us a little bit about your non-physical therapy uh business and what you're doing for other providers to help grow their business and uh, dive into that for a little bit yeah, so November of 2012, um, I met by chance the uh, head of online sales for Tesla Motors. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name was Carl Mattiola, and he was looking to use his software development skills specifically in PT. He had a life-changing experience. He was a linebacker at uh, LaSalle University, had a shoulder injury, thought he was going to need surgery, saw PT, didn't need surgery, went back to play that same year, just had this life-changing experience that stuck with him for 
you know, and marinated for 12 mm -hmm. or 15 years. Wanted to do something um, unique and on his own. Uh, we had a chance meeting, a call. I think I was the 17th physical therapist or chiropractor that he talked with. He ended up developing software to help uh, conservative care practices manage their, their metrics. Mm -hmm. So basically a, a business management dashboard. It's called Clinic Metrics. Uh, I think there are still a few users of that. Mm -hmm. uh, around the same time, he started referring people, physical therapists that were having marketing issues to me. Yep. I was teaching. I hated it, Kevin. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I couldn't stand it. I had my own thing going. You know, we had figured out our little piece of the world. And unfortunately, in conservative care, a lot of us have this scarcity mindset, which is yep. the only way for me to win is for you to lose. Yep. Right. So I don't want to share my secrets. And Carl and I had a heart to heart talk and he was like, Hey, you just need to learn how to teach mm -hmm. and, and help people. But you know, you could make a really big difference in the world here. And I also had a mentor at the same time. Who, are you a basketball fan? Uh, somewhat. Okay. So, uh, we were actually in Miami. Okay. Uh, game six, uh, I think it was 2013, 2014 when, uh, Ray Allen hit the three. In oh the yeah. Point. I remember that. Yeah. I'm in the picture. Oh no shit. So the, uh, if you look at the picture of Ray Allen, uh, my mentor, Ernie Davis, and I are, are, are both in, in there. Anyhow, on, on the flight home, I said to Ernie, or he asked me, he said, hey, you have a lot going on. What do you want to do? And I was considering uh, selling my practice at the time and going full time into commercial real estate. I had built up a little commercial real estate portfolio and said basically how I was going to check out you know, in my mid, late 30s. And he grabbed me. And Ernie was in his like mid eighties at the time. So he actually, he just turned 90 today. Now that oh, I nice. think about it, uh, he grabbed me by my arm and he like pulled me really close and he said, that would be a shame. <laughs> and it, it, it just, it stuck with me. And, uh, and he was like, you know, that guy that you're talking with, uh, Carl, he said, you should really listen to him and figure out how to teach. So in the very beginning, we were teaching a therapist how to do direct to consumer marketing. Mm -hmm. And it's how to, you know, create video content, how to write handwritten letters to their past patients to reactivate, how to do just basic everyday things that increases the demand for their services within their community, yep. uh, primarily around patient education and building patient long-term patient relationships. So that took off. Um, and then six years ago or so, what Carl started doing was seeing that there was this huge demand for building uh, automated marketing services for conservative care healthcare providers. So most of us, this is the exam room fallacy, which is we think if we just nail a single piece of marketing, so we run the right print ad, we, we send out the right postcard, or we put the right Facebook ad out there that we're just gonna walk into exam room after exam room of indoctrinated patients who look at us as the authority celebrity expert for whatever their problem is. That is not real. Yep. That's that's as false as thinking that high quality of care and word of mouth referrals are going to be sufficient to build, you know, a mini empire in our mm -hmm. our town. That is not going to happen. So what is really missing is that once we have that attraction component, we we have to convert, right? The person on the phone has to know how to talk with the patient. If you're presenting, there's going to be an event. You have to know how to talk with the patient. And as a clinician, when you walk in the exam room. And that person is cold traffic. They don't know, like, and trust you yet. They didn't have a warm third par party referral. You have to know how to talk with the patient so that they convert over to become a paying patient and a paid 
plan of care or or case. Um, so we started teaching that, and then Carl built led a team to build software around that. So basically, now we have this toolbox of marketing tools um, that allow, and it's known as CRM. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, customer relationship management. So it's an email tool, a two-way texting tool, landing pages, mm-hmm. um, a, a dash, a metrics dashboard, everything combined into one tool at Breakthrough. And that's that's what we're doing now is helping conservative care providers grow their practice through patient education and then converting those people who are educated over to paying patients. That's awesome. <clears throat> yeah. And so um, how could they find you, uh, if, you know, website, URLs, anything like that? Yeah. So the easiest thing to do is go to uh, getbreakthrough.com. Okay. Exactly as it sounds, uh, G-E-T-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H.com. Or um, I have a podcast as well. Yep. You've been on it, Kevin. Um, it's uh, the Grow Your Practice podcast. You can find it on Spotify. Uh, we had a little mishap with Apple this week. I think we'll be back on with uh, the the Apple podcast next week. It wasn't yeah. a, like a Joe Rogan mishap or something, was it? No, I don't think so. No, <laughs> I, I, I think it was a lost password, but uh, <laughs> okay. very, very temporary. But I, I think yeah. it's something that we're going to solve. But yeah, they can they can uh, you can find me there as well. So it's getbreakthrough.com or the Grow Your Practice podcast on Spotify. Perfect. I love it. You know, there's a lot of um, similarities between physical therapists and chiropractors. Uh, I know, um, a lot of physical therapists myself, we, a lot of the chiropractors that listen to this, sometimes it's hard to even tell the difference between a really good chiropractor and a really good physical therapist, which is good. Um, and, but we both, I think, uh, both groups of professionals suffer from the same thing. Like you said, uh, scarcity mindset, they, they don't think they have to do marketing. They feel like marketing is dirty. Uh, you can ethically and elegantly do those things. And not only have you done it uh, multiple times over, you're now developing software to help chiropractors do that. So I appreciate your uh, contribution to the conservative care movement. Love everything you're doing, Kevin. Thanks for doing this. Definitely. Have a great one. That is it for this week's episode, but before you leave, check us out at www.modernchiropracticmarketing.com for all kinds of free resources such as blogs and the podcast episodes. We've got online courses. You can check out the Chiropractic Success Academy there, which is an amazing online coaching system for you at a very affordable monthly rate. Uh, There's a free online course on the modernchiropracticmarketing.com website, so check that out. If you're interested in some one-on-one coaching, we can do that as well. We have all kinds of resources for you there, and we would also truly appreciate if you could rate and review this podcast if you're getting valuable information out of it. I can't thank you enough, and we'll see you next week.